In a scene from the movie, The Princess Bride, the six-fingered man takes Wesley to the pit of despair, where he uses a machine to suck one year of Wesley's life away. The six-fingered man tells Wesley that one day he may go as high as five, but he really doesn't know what that would do to him. Well, there is a nefarious machine today that is sucking years of your life away one hour at a time. You may not even be aware of it. And that machine is called social media. Yes, we've talked about it on the show before, but have you ever considered how much time you're actually spending each day scrolling through Facebook feeds and watching TikTok videos? You might be shocked to find out how much of your life social media is literally sucking away. So the average person in 2022 spends more than two hours a day on social media platforms. And you may find that you spend a lot more than that. As an author, there's lots of pressure to be on social media. Imagine how many books you could write in a year if you gained those two hours back. But you may be wondering, but I'm supposed to connect with my readers on social media. Don't publishers and agents expect me to have thousands of followers on all the social platforms? What am I supposed to do instead? Well, find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living with writing worth talking about. We have a special guest on the show today who understands what it's like to have years of her life sucked away by social media. And she's taken steps to break free from the social media chains and yet is still able to nurture an audience of readers. She's a podcaster and the author of three books, and she's been encouraging women since 2008 at thescooponbalance.com. Sandy Cooper, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. I'm so excited to be here. So tell us your story. Why did you stop using social media? Yeah, so in a word, social media to grow and nurture my audience stopped working for me. So I should say this is not to discount how it may work for other people. I'm also not even discounting how it worked for me for a time. I had joined social media back in 2008, the same year that I started my blog. And in addition to friending every single person that I had ever known since I was born, I started sharing my blog posts with everyone who was on social media. And it was a really easy way to do it at the time. And it worked really well, so much so that in early 2014, I had one blog post go viral. It crashed my site. It's still to this day, my highest ranking blog post. It went viral on Facebook and Pinterest. And at that point, I realized I was no longer just communicating with like my long lost friends and family, but then I was communicating with complete strangers, which has its own advantages and disadvantages. And it, social media yielded a very high return on a very small investment because I could just put my links up there and people would read them and share them. Yeah. People don't realize or remember what going viral used to mean. What going viral right. used to mean is you'd share a link on social media and your friends would share it and their friends would share it. And you'd go from obscurity to notoriety, sometimes in hours. <laughs> in hours. For me, it was. Yeah. And suddenly you're getting this flood of traffic coming to your website out of the clear blue sky. And what people don't realize is that that's not how it works anymore because those social networks don't want to send a flood of traffic 
away from the social network. They want to keep that traffic so they can keep making money on it. They don't want to send that money to somebody else. That's exactly true. And that's what happened with me as well. And also during that same time, that was when a lot of bloggers who started the same time as I did were also all getting book contracts because the viral sensation was happening to bloggers and publishers and agents were taking note of that. So at that point, because I was actively seeking publication, I was told by publishers and agents that I needed to start growing my social media following. And around that time, they gave it a name and they called it platform. And so I started like actively going after that. And by about 2016, I had Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And all of it was taking up a tremendous part of my day, probably at that point, about four to six hours a day, because I was trying to keep up with every person I had literally ever met. I was trying to grow my platform. I was trying to keep up with my kids' school because now everybody has Facebook pages for the clubs and the class and the sports and Then my two older kids by this point are on social media as well because they're young teenagers. And what do you do? You roll it all out to your kids because we didn't know it was bad at the time. And so I'm actively trying to monitor them at this point. And I was paying money to paid Facebook groups to engage with writers and other entrepreneurs. And I'm in a mastermind. And all of that contributed to what I now understand to be a social media addiction because I was on it all the time between all those things. Yeah, this reminds me of when liquor was invented. So we've had alcohol from the dawn of time. There's some Mm -hmm. thought that beer actually came before bread, (laughs) that the whole point of growing grains was to make the beer, and the bread was kind of this thing that happened afterwards. There's the archaeologists still debate, but they both emerged really early. But liquor, distilling spirits into rum and and whiskey, that uh, didn't happen until the Middle Ages. And it's very telling because when they first discovered liquor, when it first came to the European world, so it started off in the Muslim world, actually, they called it aqua vita, the water of life. <laughs> and it was this magical <laughs> medicine. You could put it on a wound and the wound would get better magically, right? Because germ theory is hundreds of years away, right? right. You, you have a stomach ailment and you take this and it's killing the microbes in your stomach and suddenly you're feeling better. And at first, they were like, liquor is the best thing ever. <laughs> and it wasn't until decades and centuries later that suddenly you have whole generations of men who are just drunk out of their minds. <laughs> They're just drinking gallons and gallons of whiskey every month, and it's destroying their livers. It's destroying their families. It's destroying society until finally prohibition came around in the temperance movement. And then that's where we get our tr- clean water, believe it or not. This is a bit of an aside, but the clean water movement came as an alternative so people could stop getting shatteringly drunk because it was true. You put aquavita in dirty water and suddenly the dirty water didn't get you sick, but now you're getting drunk. <laughs> uh, and so once we learn how to have clean water, we're as a society and as a civilization trying to have a better relationship with liquor. And I'm seeing that kind of same thing happen with social media because at the beginning, it was social media vita, right? We were convinced that it was perfectly good. And it's not that liquor is bad, right? I'm not a teetotaler, but I do acknowledge that it's risky and I don't let my children drink liquor. (laughs) Right, right. That's such a great point. And I would say at the beginning when I first joined, it was probably really good for me because it was 2008. I had a newly adopted one-year-old who basically didn't 
want to sleep without me, wouldn't let me put her down. I was in a very isolating period of parenting. My two older kids were still little. And so to connect with people and be able to create something on my blog and then share it with people, and uh, it was all really good at that time. But it morphed over the years into a beast that I couldn't keep feeding. Like it, it, it was requiring more of me and it was yielding less result. Which is so classic of an addiction, right? It's like, yeah, you, <laughs> you have to drink more going back to the alcohol, right? You have to drink more to get that same good feeling until suddenly you're drunk all of the time. And you're now drinking just to make the bad feelings go away. Yeah. Right? You're doing social media at first to connect with friends. And now you're doing social media to not feel isolated. And right. That's a really different motivation. Yes. And being told you have to be there by publishers and agents and by every other person who that's the only way that you can connect with them. Like that's the only way I can find out what time soccer practices. And that's the only way that I can be in this writer's group. And there were so many components that were drawing me there that I literally felt trapped. I want to leave, but there is no way that I can leave social media. So are you still stuck in social media? I am not, Thomas. <laughs> not. <laughs> so what happened? Uh, so you're trapped, right? You have professional pressure to stay in social media. You have school pressure. You have social pressure. So what did you do? Yeah. So a couple of things happened in succession that caused me to take a one-year social media break. And Thomas, you may not realize this, but you're a character in this story. I don't know if I've shared this with you. <laughs> you probably don't even know. But First of all, I attended a writer's conference in the summer of 2019, and I took a book proposal and I sat across agents and publishers, and the resounding message at that point was that my platform was too small. And still, I mean, I had been trying for years, like a solid decade at this point, trying to grow this thing, and it still was too small. And I thought, my goodness, like how big does it need to be? So I left that conference because I was very discouraged because on the one hand, the social media numbers that they gave me were so much higher than the ones from the last conference I had gone to just a few years earlier. Like they were up in like the hundreds of thousands at this point. Like I thought how there's no way I can, it felt like a moving target. I felt like I will never achieve it. It's not even that I was bad at social media or that I didn't know how to do it. I know how to do that stuff. I'm not afraid to get on camera. I'm kind of witty under a, a caption and a picture. Like I, like I can kind of do all of that. You know what I mean? Like I understood what to do. It wasn't that I couldn't do it. It's that it wasn't working. So I came home from that conference and it became at that point, I'm a Christian, and so I pray about things. And so it became a huge matter of prayer for me. And I was standing in my kitchen, and I was listening to a novel marketing podcast. And it was the one that was published on September 9th, 2019. The title was How to Pick a Social Media Network as an Author. And because I was so desperately seeking guidance about this, I was willing to consider that maybe I was just picking the wrong platform. Maybe it wasn't working for me because I hadn't found the one that fit my strengths and my time the best. And so I listened to that episode. And in that episode, you said this, and I wrote it down. <laughs> it's You said, if you are a writer seeking publication 
then the best use of your time is to get off social media and go work on your book. And I had been praying and wrestling with this thing of social media for so long that this felt like a direct answer to prayer for me. And I turned that podcast off, and this is no lie, I walked over to my computer and I wrote an exit post on Facebook and Instagram, wrote a blog post, and I logged off of social media on September 11th, 2019, and I wrote my book. Wow. Literally, that day. (laughs) Like that moment, it wasn't even a day. Like I turned it off and walked over and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to write my book. And so I decided to self-publish it too. And I returned a little over a year later with really mixed feelings because on the one hand, all the good things that we talked about social media, like I actually missed the people that I communicated with over social media. I had relocated over during the pandemic. I didn't know we were moving during that time, but we did. And of course, the pandemic hit during that time. And so we moved and some of the people that I love didn't even really know that we left because it was the pandemic and we couldn't see people. And I wasn't on social media, so I couldn't tell them that way. So if I didn't have their contact information, they didn't know. But on the other hand, when I came back and I started promoting my book and doing all the things that I knew to do, it was only a very short time before I realized that like, I really hated there. Like I hated it at social media. I just did. And there was this huge shift that had happened during that time too. And, and I think for a lot of people who maintained their presence on social media over the pandemic, didn't see the shift happen as much as I did. But being gone for a year and four months or three months and coming back people that were otherwise lovely people outside of social media were like, had lost their ever-loving mind on these platforms. And I was like, <laughs> I, I can't be here. Like, this is not good for me, you know? And so I took it back to God in prayer again. And I basically just said, God, like, do I need to be here? Like, is this something that I have to do? Because I feel trapped and I don't want to be here. And I didn't hear an audible voice or anything, you know, it wasn't a thus saith the Lord, anything like that. But I felt like God was inviting me to just lay it down. Like, you do not have to carry this burden. There are other ways to do what you want to do. And I felt like God was just saying, it's okay. Like, you don't have to be here. And so I felt like God gave me permission. And on March 18th, 2021, I wrote a final exit post. I manually unfriended everyone on my personal Facebook. I deactivated Instagram. I had long abandoned Twitter because it already got on my nerves. And weirdly, my Facebook author page, which had my biggest number of people, Facebook just made it disappear. Like it was gone all of a sudden. And I was like, well, I guess I don't have to make a decision about that. And so now I have a friendless Facebook account that I maintain just to stay connected with one writing group, a cooking group, and my daughter's school, her class page. And so unfriending people, that's kind of the ultimate, right? Because a lot of people will deactivate. Facebook knows people have like a binge purge relationship with Facebook. And so they make it very easy to deactivate your account where it comes back right away. But unfriending everyone, that's the point of no return. Because now even if you wanted to recreate your Facebook, it would be this big project of refinding all of your friends on Facebook. And so... You have gotten rid of your social media platform. Does that mean that you now no longer have contact with your readers? Like, are you now an obscure (laughs) author in the wilderness? 
No, I am not an obscure author in the wilderness because guess what? People have lives outside of social media, it turns out. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I realized that my reader lives a lot of other life. So my audience is primarily overwhelmed Christian moms. And so overwhelmed Christian moms, I mean, they work, they attend church, they listen to podcasts, they attend clubs, meetings, conferences, they're taking their kids to soccer and dance, they're Googling their problems on their web browser. I can find her in all those places. And that's where I go. I'm connecting with them in all the other ways. And if they're overwhelmed, social media is probably adding to that overwhelm. And so having your community there would be like having an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting at a bar. <laughs> like, I don't know if this is the best venue for helping people live a happier, more fulfilled, less stressful life if we're doing it in the place where people are unhappy and stressed and not fulfilled by nature of the network. I'm so glad you said that because I realized that one of the primary things that I was dealing with as a writer who serves overwhelmed moms was it felt like a lack of integrity to me to try to help her find time and help her to live out her priorities and help her to find peace in her life and at the exact same time say, and don't forget to follow me on Instagram because that now I'm luring her onto a platform that is known to be addictive, that is known to suck two and a half hours a day on average of her time, is known to make her depressed, anxious, and lonely, is known to ha- cause her to lose her focus. Why would I lure her there? She shouldn't be there either. <laughs> I'm not saying not everyone needs to be off, but my reader, that's the last place she needs to be spending her time. Yeah. And it helps you be more integrated. Your message and the delivery of the message are now consistent, right? If you're telling people you need to stop using bad language and you're using bad language, it undermines the message a little bit, even though the message may be helpful, right? Or you're telling people to eat healthy and you're not eating healthy. It's like, well, why should I believe you? So let's let's go into this. What was it like that year of not being on social media? What was it like psychologically and what was it like for your calendar? Yeah. I have struggled with depression and anxiety most of my life. When I joined Facebook, I was in active treatment for a major depressive episode that happened right after we adopted my daughter. And I was like on meds in therapy and then joined Facebook. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so I, I was a perfect case study for how is this going to affect her mentally? And like I said, at first it was probably good because it kept me connected, but it wasn't long before I realized that taking breaks from social media, the main thing that I noticed was the lack of anxiety that I felt because it made me feel all glitchy. Like every time I would get on social media to engage, just like glitchy and angry. And it was a lot of like too much information, even in my writer's group, where everyone is working on something And everyone has ideas about how you should be doing it. And everybody's at different levels. And there's a couple thousand people in this group. And when I would get on to even engage in there, it just felt like getting sprayed with a fire hose. You know, I would never leave feeling refreshed and like, wow, I feel so good. I was having negative mental health effects for sure. One of the reasons I got off right at that moment was I had looked at my screen time on my phone and 
I was consistently spending two hours a day. And that was me whittling it down. Like that was me doing the absolute minimum on social media in order to keep all those things going. And once I just eliminated that whole thing from my life, it was an automatic two hours a day that I was able to spend writing that book. And so that's what I did. I mean, I just went all in on the book. And the mental health aspect was the clarity and the lack of anxiety and the peace, really. There wasn't really a downside to being off during that year, except maybe the disconnection that I felt because then the pandemic hit and people that I normally would have seen in person, I couldn't see in person anymore. So that was weird. But when I got back on and could connect with everyone, I realized that it really wasn't a great way to connect anyway. Like all the people that I wanted to stay connected with, I could find other ways to connect with them. Yeah. You know, you're talking about how the publishers keep increasing the number of social followers you have to have to be impressive, right? It used to be 5,000 was impressive, and then you needed 10,000, and then you needed 50,000, and now it's the hundreds of thousands. And part of the reason for that is, one, they're realizing social media isn't as effective as they thought it was. And part of it is it's not as effective as it used to be. But another part of it is as more people leave social media, because you're not the only person leaving social media. There's a lot of people cutting back on social media right now. Mm -hmm. Like the, the cat is out of the bag and we now realize, oh, this is actually really unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> you can't drink as much Aquavita as you want and you'll just get healthier and healthier the more liquor right. you consume. There's actually a, a healthy balance of how much liquor is healthy. And for a lot of people, the healthy balance is no liquor, right? They'll right. have wine and beer, the things we've been drinking for millennium, but maybe they're not drinking any liquor. <laughs> there, mm -hmm. there are downsides and it's not actually as healthy for you as, as wine is. And these other forms of interacting, like you're talking about being in a writer's group and how you kind of left overwhelmed or left dry. Imagine if that writer group had been in person, right? And right. you met with four or five other authors face-to-face, -face, you'd have probably left charged up and excited yes. <laughs> and encouraged. And yet moving that conversation, that interaction over to Facebook, while it made it more convenient, it also diminished the power of it. And it came at the expense of doing it in person. Because often when we do social media, it's instead of doing these in-person activities, you know, think about how many in-person activities you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and then ask yourself, am I happier now? Right. <laughs> am I happier now than I was back then? And for most people, it's like, no, I'm miserable. I'm more anxious than ever before. I'm more depressed than ever before. And it's like, maybe it's the social media. And if this, yeah. if writing is your excuse, you're like, well, but I've got to because I'm writing. You don't have to, right? You can blog. You can have an email list. You can connect with readers in real life. I mean, I tried to not recommend social media very often. I'm not 100% against it, and it can yeah. work. And some authors are able to get into the hundreds of thousands. For sure. Where suddenly it makes a difference. But we, when we focus on the one who's successful, we don't see the tens of thousands who tried and failed. And buying lottery tickets is not a reproducible strategy. <laughs> that's so funny that you say that, because that was one of the things I was going to say, that that's what it felt like to me. Because I've heard you say before that you feel like social media is like speaking to an empty auditorium. And I felt like social media felt more like a packed stadium where everyone is screaming and only a couple people have microphones or a stage. 
And how do you get a microphone and a stage? When you go to a concert and the person standing next to you can't even hear you if you're screaming at the top of your lungs if you're at a good concert. (laughs) And so like, I'll be leaning over to my husband and be like screaming in his ear and he can barely hear me. That's how I felt on social media. Like maybe the people in my immediate circle can hear me. And it felt like the lottery. It's not reproducible to get that stage, that microphone in your hand. Like, how do you do that? When you're doing all the things that everybody's telling you to do and it's still not working, it felt like chance. It felt like the lottery to me. Okay, so that is totally the better metaphor, and I'm officially stealing it. So I'm going to give you credit right now. Nice. Will you give me credit every time you say (laughs) it? (laughs) No, just this one time. It was being recorded. Come on. (laughs) No, because it really is like being in a crowded stadium where you're really shouting. And what's great about that metaphor is how do you get on stage? By doing something outside of social media. Who are the biggest, most famous people on social media? They're people with their own TV shows. Right. Right. Like, look at the top Instagrammers. They're all famous because they're a musician or because they're a TV personality or they're an actor or they're a politician. None of those things happen because they did social media really well. Sure, you're at a game and they or at a concert and somebody, one lucky person gets invited up on stage, but then they get kicked right back off stage, right? You you get your chance to kick the field goal and everybody sees, oh, you're not as good as the actual kicker for this football team. Then they send you back. Maybe you win your prize, maybe you don't, but you never get invited to be on the team. So the way to get on the field is not by being in the stands. It's actually by not being in the stands and spending that time in the weight room or the training room. Or I'm, I'm taking it from a concert to a sport, so I'm going to tweak. Oh wow, <laughs> it's getting confusing. <laughs> We're getting complicated. <laughs> so walk through how you connect with readers today in 2022. Yeah, you're completely off of social media. You're not using it at all. You have a new book coming out or a new project. What do you do to get the word out about it? A couple things are working really well for me right now. Before I left social media, I had started a podcast. So I have a podcast. It was already up and running by then. And in fact, since I've left social media, I have written and self-published two books and published over 100 episodes of my podcast and moved my whole family across the country. (laughs) So on a personal note, I was able to accomplish a ton of things. And professionally, I was able to accomplish a ton of things as well. So When I moved off of social media, before I left, I made sure that everyone knew how to reach me. And I gave people my website. I gave people my email address, you know, how to find my podcast, like all of those things. And those are probably the biggest ones right now. At the time when I left, I was the women's ministry leader at my church. And a lot of the people who bought my books were the women I I was serving in real life anyway. So I found that if I just continue to reach people organically, so like to to continue our stadium analogy, if social media is like walking into a stadium, I feel more now like I'm walking into a dinner party or someone's home or a small conference. It's not the big giant numbers. Like I don't have those big giant numbers. And I think that was a huge shift for me is that there isn't like a one-to-one trade You leave social media with tens of thousands of people, and you're going to then get your tens of thousands of people over here necessarily. For me, that has not been true. But what I find is that the people who I'm connecting with now really want what I have. 
where my social media following was such a mixed bag of every person, like my neighbor from when I was three and the person who worked in the office with me and our neighbors five houses ago and my husband's aunt. And you know what I mean? It was such a mixed bag of people who followed me that now the people who follow me are overwhelmed Christian moms. And so everything just feels more effective. I think when people email me, I respond. And so I have a lot of personal connection with people. I've met several people in person. I've been to conferences and I have speaking engagements coming up where I'm meeting people in person. And podcast tours like this are huge. Like it's a great way to find your reader and grow your email list and all those things. So in fact, I, by the way, I'm taking your advice, Thomas. I have a special freebie for your audience that I created for this podcast. It's 27 real ways to grow your audience outside of social media. And not all 27 ways will work for everyone. My top three are quizzes that I have on my website, podcast tours, and the freebies that I usually offer on my own podcast episodes. Those are my biggest ways that I'm growing my audience and I'm connecting with people in all the ways that I mentioned. We'll have a link to the 27 ways to grow your audience outside of social media. I love that. And I know you're you know, like, oh, my platform's not that big. You know, it hasn't been a one-to-one. -one. But I will say, I, I looked up the stats for your podcast, and your podcast is in the top 1.5% of all podcasts in yeah. the world, according to Listen Notes. So these methods, these 27 methods do work. It's yes. not like, yes. because <laughs> you sacrificed the feeling of a connection with an audience that wasn't even the right audience, right? Your Sunday school teacher from when you were a kid or your right. kindergarten <laughs> friend probably isn't going to buy your book. And and if they did, it would they would buy it, but they wouldn't read it. It's like, oh, I'll buy a book for my friend, you know, as a favor. And they'll only do one that way. <laughs> so they're not going to buy your second book, especially if they didn't read your first book. But now you're actually growing a real platform with a real audience. You're growing a real tribe. Right. <laughs> but most people, they don't get beyond their own circle. They don't have anybody. And they think that social media is the way to go from zero to 50. And it's basically impossible. You're in the stands shouting, trying to get something moving, and it's really difficult. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and another thing that I want to point out here is that this did involve you going independent. Because I will say the traditional houses really are still addicted to the drugs of social media. <laughs> yeah. They're still looking at the numbers. You can get around it if you have a big enough email list. You can convince them with your email numbers and your podcast numbers. I had a literary agent on the show a couple weeks ago, and she still looks at social media. Yes. But what's interesting is that the growth in the industry is almost all happening amongst the indie authors, especially in fiction. Uh, in ebooks, it's all of the growth is happening with the indie authors. Mm -hmm. If you look at the NPD group's numbers, they show traditional publishing and ebooks is either flat or down a little bit, whereas the indies are seeing often double-digit growth year over year. And it's because many of the indies are moving away from social media, and they're not the only ones. So I don't watch a lot of television, <laughs> but I am into college football. And so once a year, I re-enter the world of television, and I get to see a snapshot of what's happening in TV ads. And my wife used to work in marketing, and so we have a lot of fun critiquing the ads as marketing people. And a very interesting thing has happened, and I don't know when it happened in the last year, but it's definitely happening now, is the hashtags are leaving the ads. So you remember oh, every right. ad used to have a hashtag along the bottom. Now what are they putting? They're putting a QR code 
for you to connect with them directly on their website, which is a much better, savvier method, right? Because that hashtag, bots don't buy books. The hashtags are controlled by people with bots and bots also don't buy Home Depot products. But humans do. And having that honest to goodness connection with an actual human on your website is so much more valuable than trying to pull them through this chaotic morass of social media, hoping they'll make a purchase at the end. That's such a distracting yes. path, right? It's like they see a commercial. Like, wow, that looks really interesting. Here, come over to social media. And there's now a thousand <laughs> voices shouting at me. The likelihood of me then continuing to buy that product is very low. And so it makes sense that they're like, hey, scan this code, get this coupon, download our app or buy the product right now. Way better, way smarter. Yes. And these are big companies. Home Depot has a QR code on their commercials now. So this is not some small brand. And I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, it's in lieu of the hashtag. So you get, wow. they don't have a hashtag. They just want you to scan the code or visit the store in real life because <laughs> real life still exists. <laughs> yes, it does. And it's important for us to realize that real life is real life. We're not living in a simulation. If you die in real life, you die in real life. <laughs> if you waste your real life, you've wasted your real life. So put this time to better use. And it's so encouraging to hear you be like, yeah, well, during my year off of you know, social media, I wrote all these books and I moved. Like, you had the most productive year ever, right? Ever. What, it's got to be an amazing feeling to be like, hey, I wrote this book this year. Yes. <laughs> Instead yes. of like, I worked on the book, but I didn't quite have time to finish it because I was busy doing this other thing. Yes, very much so. Very much so. But I can hear a lot of people saying, Yes, but my publisher, my agent is forcing me. I, they are telling me I have to be on social media. So what would you say to somebody who says that? <laughs> well, I would say a couple of things. <laughs> First of all, I would say if you enjoy social media and it's working for you, then congratulations. <laughs> you found the right publisher and go for it. But if you hate social media and it's not where you want to be and it's taking its toll on you and your family and your time, then I would suggest that maybe that publisher is not the right fit for you. If you really have it in your heart and mind that you want to be traditionally published, then find other viable ways to connect with your reader, grow your audience in more organic ways, like we talked about with a podcast or your email list or in-person speaking events, like all of those are super attractive to publishers. But finally, I would say that if you feel like it's taking its toll on you, on your mental health, that's reason enough to step away. Like, I just feel like your mental health is too precious and too valuable to sacrifice it at the altar of publishing numbers. I think that self-publishing is a very viable alternative. There are many advantages to self-publishing that I have found a higher royalty percentage. I have more control over my content. I retain the rights to my content. Like All of those things are true and real for me. And when I'm publishing a Bible study, that was very important to me. I didn't want people to change what I had written. And I still had it edited, like professionally edited and had professional um, covers and graphic design and all of that made, but it was what I wanted it to say. So if success to you is being traditionally published, then find another way if you don't want to be on social media to build your audience. But if it's not, then maybe you can redefine success to love what you're doing and find other ways to connect with your reader. 
Yeah, if you're already published and your publisher is putting pressure on you to do social media, your agent is, you need to remember that they are not your boss and they are not paying you to do social media. <laughs> I was listening to a TV personality who was talking about this and she was talking about why she doesn't like being on Twitter because she's like, I'm not paid to do Twitter. I'm paid to do my TV job, yeah. but I can get fired for Twitter. <laughs> Right. right. Her network had absolutely fired people for saying the wrong thing on Twitter, but they weren't actually paying her to be there. She's like, why am I here? What's in it for me? And the reality is, is that if you're published already and your sales are bad, mm-hmm. right, the sales of your last book were bad, no amount of social media will get you another contract because you're only judged on your actual numbers of sales inside the company. And if your sales are good, you will get another contract, even if you're not doing social media at all. And so just tell the publisher, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you can still be traditionally published and say no. If you have the power, if your book is good and you have the audience, then you can say no. And if you have an agent who will back you, then you have a good agent. And if you have an agent who you feel like is on the team of the publisher rather than on your team, you need to get a different agent. Hmm. They're your agent, not the publisher's agent. Mm, and point. some agents become a voice of the status quo rather than helping authors skate to where the puck is headed. And a lot of these publishing companies, especially the big ones, there's a big court case, a lot of numbers came out. Turns out they're not really making money with the new books they're publishing for the most part. They're making money off their backlist. They're floundering. They're really mm. struggling with the new books. And part of it is because they're relying too much on social media numbers and not enough on good market research with actual human beings. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, they're not doing real market research anymore. They're just looking at the social media numbers and they can't filter out the bots or not. Because you can get a bot to like your stuff and comment and show high engagement numbers, right? You pay for the good bots that are leaving comments and are using AI-generated text that looks very human. You can fake it as much as you want, and the publishers don't know how to screen that out. Right now, they're just looking and seeing if there's lots of likes and retweets, which isn't enough. (laughs) Yeah, you always have the power to say no. No one can force you to do anything. Right. (laughs) The, The consequences can be high, but you are always free. You never let anyone convince you that you have no other option. And if you write fiction, don't do this to your characters. Your characters always have a choice, right? You can live free or you can die, right? We always have that choice. Yes. (laughs) We don't have to comply, right? A a thousand people can be complying with some bully. That doesn't mean that you have to be the one complying with the bully. A thousand people can be following the law. That doesn't mean that you have to follow the law, right? Criminals know this. Right, right. (laughs) Just because the rule tells them they have to do something. But this thinking is useful for all of us. This is my Texan in me, right? We're like, we're we're very, you know, suspicious of bullies. And we want to stand up to somebody pushing us around, telling us we have to do something. Like, well, tell me why. Force me. Let's see if you can force me. (laughs) Come and take it. (laughs) There was a little part of me that when I kept being told, especially my writer's group, that I had to stay on social media, I was like, you know what? No, I don't. Just the fact that you keep telling me that I have to, I'm going to prove that I don't. And if I can't find anyone who's going to lead the way, then I'll pave the way. Like, I'll figure it out, and I'm going to go do it. Although I do see more and more authors starting to leave, and I want to talk to each and every one of them and be like, okay, let's chat. Because our experience, it's all very similar. It's all just like getting to the point where you're just like, I am so tired of playing this game. And I don't want to be a dancing monkey in front of a screen and being told, 
over and over again. This is the way I have to be a writer. It's just so backwards. Again, going back to the alcohol metaphor, if you're an alcoholic and you stop drinking, your alcoholic friends are going to fight you. Yes. Right. They're not going to be like, good for you. Right. They're like, you know, (laughs) Alcoholics Anonymous is for quitters. (laughs) Right. Come back and join us. And often when people are leaving that lifestyle, they have to leave their friends and they have to create new sober friends and they have to find new sober places to make friends. Right. So, you know, they're because they're not going to the bar anymore. They're not making friends at the bar. They're not going to the parties where everyone's getting shatteringly drunk. So they have to rebuild their lives a little bit. And as more people leave social media, this is going to get easier, right? right? The real life parties are going to get better. Right? That's right. <laughs> I like that. The real life parties are going to get better. <laughs> you, you can have fun at a sober party. You don't have to get drunk That's for right. the party to be fun. Uh, where can people find out more about you? The best place is at thescooponbalance.com. That's my website. And if you are an overwhelmed Christian mom and want to hear my podcast, it's The Balanced Momcast. Find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And I would encourage you to download that 27 Ways to Grow Your Audience Outside of Social Media. And Sandy, I want you to create in your email program a special autoresponder where you can connect with the people who are getting sober and help connect them with each other. Yes. (laughs) I think this needs to happen. And our community of authors is particularly hit with social media addiction because we justified it for so long that we are being forced. Oh, it's not my fault. My agent or my publisher is forcing me to do this self-destructive thing. And so as we start getting sober, we need those support groups and we need to start rebuilding real life writers groups and rebuilding real life conferences. Yes, I agree. Rebuild your real life if you want your real life to be better. So the website is thescooponbalance.com. And the podcast, if you want to listen to Sandy's podcast, is The Balanced Momcast. So it's not for authors, but if you're a mother and you're wanting to live a more balanced life, I encourage you to check out that podcast. Sandy Cooper, thank you so much for joining us today on the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And if you're wanting more help building your platform without social media, I'm happy to say that my course, Obscure No More, which is a complete guide to building a platform, my method does not use social media. What I teach in that course is a social media free way of building your platform. It talks about all of the other methods, whether it's blogging, podcasting, search engine optimizing, your website, public speaking, guesting on podcasts, and so much more. If you want help building your platform the right way, not taking the shortcut of social media, but connecting with real life readers who will really read your book, the course is called Obscure No More. It is my super course that includes my other courses. And until the end of the year, you can still get it at the special beta pricing. And again, you can find out more at authormedia.com slash courses. Our featured patron today is Jennifer Lamont Leo, author of The Rose Keeper. During the Great Depression, a spoiled socialite must suddenly find a way to support herself and her child. Can she turn a homemade recipe for soup tonic into a livelihood? Find out in the book The Rose Keeper. And Jennifer Lamont Leo, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, helping keep this podcast on the air and helping cover the many costs that go into making each and every episode. Speaking of which, 
The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our guest today is Sandy Cooper. Our producer is Laurie Christine. Audio engineering by William Umstadt. And the blog version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. To read the blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 350. That's right. This was episode 300. And 50. That's a lot of podcast episodes, and that's not counting the bonus ones. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.